a team effort. Just where it goes? Yeah, I, I got it. That's good work. That's good work. That's good work. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, um, I want to introduce myself. I'm Charlie Lawson, the lead pastor here. And man, we are we are glad you're worshiping with us. We're in the middle of a series called Love Does. We're reading through this book as a small group and just kind of talking through some themes here on Sunday morning. So this is week two of that. I'm really glad that you're a part of that. And here's the thing that you don't know, at least I mean, some of you may know, but most of you probably don't, is that we have just you have just been injected into a Christian controversy. Because that last song that you sang is incredibly controversial right now in some circles in, in, in the Christian world. Because there's this thing that Christians do, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and it's a little frustrating, especially, especially pastors, people who've gone to seminary and gotten overeducated or whatever. They we just like to nitpick at, at, at little things. And, and I don't want to be overly critical of people who like to nitpick things because it's totally in my personality. I, I, I like to nitpick at things, and I can get on a good as rant as anybody. Um, hey, can I just give you one real quick? Give you one real quick? Here's something I don't like, right? right? Uh, the, the phrase chicken fried chicken. Okay? Right? So there's fried chicken, and we all know what that is. And then there's chicken fried steak, which totally makes sense. It's a steak fried as if it were fried chicken, right? Chicken fried steak. But then you make chicken fried chicken. Like, what are we even talking about? It, fried chickens are, we already know it's chicken. We already know it's fried. Well, it's chicken fried chicken. He's like, well, Charlie, no, that's not, that's not what it means. It means it's like chicken fried steak. But that's not what the name says. If you're going to call it that, say fried chicken like chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak style fr- fried, anyways. <laughs> chicken fried chicken just doesn't make any sense. I mean, just, why, why not fried chicken fried chicken, chicken fried fried? I mean, just keep, anyways. That's not what we're talking about. Um, I mean, I, but I can also, I mean, I can turn this sometimes to other Christians. You know, people know this. I don't really like most church signs. I just, I look at some of these signs. I think you're just embarrassing the whole team. Please, just, just don't, just don't, please. Um, you know, but there's this thing that we do. I mean, we just like if, I mean, this that song, Reckless Love. It's it's become incredibly popular. It's number one on 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 on, on the charts and tons of tons of airplay. And what people have latched onto is is to describe the love of God as as reckless. Because you hear that word reckless, and maybe maybe you think foolish. You know, like like, like it's like it's a dumb, it's a foolish, it's a it's an insane kind of love. And and you know God would God would never be never would be foolish and so some churches say we shouldn't be singing this song it's teaching people bad theology and and I'm all for man we shouldn't be teaching songs we shouldn't be singing songs that would that have bad theology in them but sometimes I think we just we, we're just nitpicking and and especially to me it feels like that with this song because there's some real power in that word reckless. And reckless doesn't necessarily mean foolish. What if what if what r- reckless means is without regard 
to your personal risk. And so then what you're saying is that God's love is reckless, is that he is loving us without regard to whether or not we're going to love him back, how well we're going to love him back, or whether or not at some point in the future we might hurt him. It's not that he hasn't counted the cost. It's not that it's foolish or anything. It's just a matter of he's not loving in order to know to, to, to know for certain that he's going to get something in return. Well, well, Charlie, he's God and he already knows everything. Yeah, 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 read the articles. They're all over the internet. Of course God knows in advance, but there is still something powerful because we know in some ways God's love for us has been reckless. Because he has loved me unconditionally, and yet I have let him down. And so here's the question that we're going to ask, and I think it kind of hits on some themes of the, of the, kind of the, the second part of our Love Does book. We're going to ask that question, do, do, do we really believe? Does, does God love that way? Does God love other people? Does he love us in such a way that says, it's, this is not about what I'm going to get in return. This is just a reckless expression of my love. And if so, if that is how God loves us, the question then for us too then, is that how we are to love as well? So we're going to look at a story, a story in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and kind of the setup here for this story, this is a, this is a post-resurrection story. So Jesus has already died on the cross, he has come back to life, and he's interacting with his disciples before he goes back to heaven permanently. And he's about to interact with one of his primary followers, one of his 12 disciples, a guy named Peter. And Peter um, uh, is, is kind of known throughout history as kind of being one of the, if not the primary leader of the church post-Jesus. But he has just come off a really bad season. Because what happened right after Jesus is arrested and is taken down and, and is put on trial? And Jesus predicted this would happen, and Peter said, no way it would. Jesus told him, it's like, you're going to deny me three times um, before all this is over. And he's like, man, it's never, it's never going to happen. I, I would die for you. And like, yeah, we'll see. And, and, and then it happens just the way that Jesus did. You know, some person comes to you, hey, you're with Jesus, aren't you? I'm like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Another person's like, man, yeah, 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 I can tell by your accent. You're one of them. No, I'm not. And then finally, like, there's this point in which this, it's like this kid comes up to him and says, I saw you with Jesus. He says he curses out this kid. I, I, I swear I don't know him. And then just like Jesus predicted, this, 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 this rooster crows in the background and it said that's what would happen after he did this three times. And so Peter, Peter he's done, right? I mean, he, 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 denied, he denied Jesus. You know, he had this opportunity to take a stand and, and tell people at a time of, of risk that, that he was a real follower of Jesus. And he has disappointed and failed Jesus in this huge way. Well, that just means the smart thing to do when someone has failed you and disappointed you in such a huge way is to move on. Like we got, that's why there's 12. Well, we lost Judas for obvious reasons. You know, he, you know, he, he betrayed Jesus in a more, much more significant way. And now we got Peter. Oh, we, got, we got 10 more, right? But that's not the way that Jesus handles this situation. So he comes to Peter. And again, we need to recognize that, that, that um, he's going to be full of embarrassment. And full of shame. And he comes to him here in John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Um, this, this is a metaphor that Jesus is using, kind of, you know, he's a shepherd and the people that, that, that he's loving, those are his sheep. And so I'm, I'm going to leave and I need you to do this thing that I've been doing, which is to kind of to take care and love and shepherd and care for these people, right? So he said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered and said, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. You know, I mean, obviously Peter is, is real sensitive at this point, right? I mean, he's like, I got this one-on-one time with Jesus, and I, I know what's eventually going to come up, right? I mean, eventually he's going to talk about me cursing the kid and, and all the denying and all the things. And so he's got this real sensitivity to what Jesus is doing here, right? It's like, like, why do you keep asking me? I just, I just want you, I just want to be able to say it once and you believe it and we don't have to talk about all this bad stuff, right? He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And so there in that verse 18, kind of the, the you, know, you know, right now you're young and you've your whole life been able to, I just, I pick what I wear and I go where I want. So there's going to come a time where your arms are going to be stretched out. They're going to put you in clothes you don't want to be in. And they're going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. Which is exactly how Peter was executed. He was executed on a cross, but he was executed upside down. Um, and, so it, and, and so this is a prediction that Jesus is making. And so in this story here, we, again, you know, Peter, Peter gets his feelings hurt. But really what Jesus is doing here is he's coming to Peter and saying, I mean, in that, in that question, do you love me? Right? Do you, do you love me? He's like, yes, I do. He's like, well, here, here's what I need you to do. Do you, hey, do you love me? Yes, yes. I, what Jesus is doing here is actually really incredible. I mean, he's doing this, these points of emphasis. Some people would like to say that Jesus asked the question three times, kind of like each affirmation kind of undoes one of the three denials, right? Or maybe it's just Jesus is just kind of really hitting this point home. But what Jesus is doing here with Peter is saying to him, hey, because you love me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be in charge of taking care of the people that I'm leaving behind and the people that are going to come after I leave who are going to follow me. So he is coming to the person who probably at this moment of the 11 disciples probably feels and maybe in some ways is the least qualified because of this huge mistake that he has made. This public denial He comes to him and says, I want you to take care of my people. And so he, I mean, I mean isn't that risky? I mean, I mean, I use a different word. Doesn't it, does it feel a little reckless? I mean, here's a guy that when, when it mattered the most, when, 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 when everything was at its worst, 
and he failed. He said, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't even know anything to do with it. And I would rather curse a kid than identify with Jesus. That's not the person that you leave in charge. But Jesus, rather than having this attitude that says, you know, well, you failed once, I've got to move on to the next person. He intensely engages with him. Loves him, reestablishes this relationship, and then places on him this incredible mantle of leadership. And so we see something here. We see something here in the way that Jesus loves, in the way that he empowers people. We see here that I think that we need to make sure we figure out a couple things. This is what we're going to do as we kind of look at some, some of the finer points of this, of this story. We need to make sure that, one, we understand how God loves us. Because sometimes I think we get confused about that. And then we're also going to have to then, okay, once we're clearer on that, then we're going to have to take very seriously Jesus' charge, which is to love others the way that we have been loved by Jesus. So we need to get that. We need to get our facts straight first. How is it that Jesus loves us, and then how are we to love? So we look at this passage. And I think that we need to make sure we just kind of get this out in the open, say it very clearly. Taking chances on someone, taking chances on someone, it's risky. It's risky. It's risky to do it. This is a, you know, again, putting our nitpicking theology aside, right? God knows everything, knows everything in advance, right? Put that aside, right? It is, this is a risky thing to put this much faith and trust in someone who has failed miserably recently. It's, this is risky. It could have gone bad. What Jesus knew. We're not going to put that aside for a second. Right, right? Okay, good. Now we're done with that. It's a risk. He, he, he takes a risk. I mean, the whole operation is a risk. He's leaving and leaving it in charge of 11 people, one of whom publicly denied, and, 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 and the other 10 scattered. And he leaves it in their care. But we see Jesus taking this risk of just, I'm going to love someone who has already disappointed me, who has already failed. I'm going to come back to them. And, you know, Peter could, Peter could do it again. But there's just something about, and, and we, need to, we need to recognize this. Because sometimes I think we get into relationships saying, I want to only be in relationships that don't carry any risk. I'm only going to want to love people who are safe. And the people who are really, who truly believe that and only love people are, are, that are safe are people who live alone and only have pets. Right? I mean, that may, maybe your pets, maybe pets, but people will disappoint you. Every love, every person that you try to have a relationship with, there is a risk there. Every act of love you show could not be returned. Every love, every relationship that you take, it, it, it could, it, it's risky. But this is what God has called us to be. And here's the thing. When I, um, when I first heard about this, about this song and, and the controversy that comes with it, I mean, it, it when it's like, what's, what's the controversy? Well, it's a song called Reckless Love. And I'm like, well, what's, what's controversial about it? It took me a while to even put my mind around it because this is a phrase that I have used before in my life. I was used it before. It was almost, um, 
It was almost seven years ago, and for many of you, parts of this story are familiar. Um, we have three daughters. They, when they all have their birthdays this fall, they'll be uh, 21, 18, and 7. And the girl who was 7, we were her foster parents. We brought her home from the hospital. She was born on Sunday. They called us on Tuesday. We brought her in our home on Thursday. And they said it was a high likelihood um, that we would, they would want, we would need to adopt her, and they didn't want us to take her in our home if we weren't willing to, which we, we, I, we 100% were. But there's always a chance, there's always a chance that this could, this could go badly. And so you've got this baby in your home, and, and, and you have to decide, like, what, am I going to love her fully as if she's my daughter, knowing that she could be taken away? And, and we talked about this as a family, and, and I use this phrase that we want, we want to love her recklessly because she doesn't have anyone else in the world. She has, she, she, we're her only parents. We're her only family that she has right now. And she doesn't need two caregivers and two playmates. She needs a mom, a dad, and sisters. And we are going to love her recklessly, not knowing what might happen. We might get hurt in this process, but it will have been worth it to love her well. And so there was risk, and obviously, in the end, there was great reward for us, and the, and the risk turned out to be worth it 100%. Um, it, was, it got a little dicey there at the 11th hour. It looked like there was a chance that we wouldn't get to a doctor, and it was, it's a real scary story for, that illustrates a different sermon better. But we'll set that one aside for another day. Um, but it was a risk. But she needed that love, and this is who God has called us to be. I tell that story, but there's 50 other stories I could tell of someone that I have loved, someone very much like this story with Peter, where someone has, has failed in some way, someone has done something, you know, and, and he's like, man, I think we need to love them, I think we need to take a risk on them, I believe in them, we'll put them in some sort of leadership, we'll do this kind of thing, and, and you love them, and you believe in them, and you send them out, and they totally just disappoint you. And it totally makes you look like a terrible idiot, and it makes you look like a bad leader. And, and you're thinking, is he going to tell a story or not? I'm not going to tell a story because then you're going to try to figure out if you think that you know the person I'm talking about, and that's not good. But let me just say, me, just like you, we've believed in people before, and they have hurt you. Just like the people said before, they go, oh, you shouldn't do that. I mean, that, that person could, da, 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 could fail you. Yeah, of course they could. People can do that all the time. But this is the kind of love that God has called us to show to people. And it is the kind of love that Jesus is showing to his followers. And we need to know, hey, if I'm going to love people the way that Jesus loved me, whether it's people in my family, whether it's people in my friends, if it's, it's people that I work with, it's people that God's called me to be in church with, that for me to say that I'm going to love them carries risk. Well, if, if I do that, they could hurt me. Yep. If I do that, they could disappoint me. Yep. It could be real bad. Yep. But this is who God has called us to be. In, in fact, we, we like to use this word. We like to use this phrase, right? That love is supposed to be unconditional, unconditional love. I think we like the way that it sounds. I think the way that we like, the way that it feels, you know, this direction, right? I want unconditional love, but i got to keep you at a distance because you know what you are. 
but it is that unconditional love. This is what God has called us to. And we need to make sure it's clear. Again, you know it in your own life. It's when you are the least worthy of the love that you most need the love. And that is true of the people that God is placing in our life. It is, it is, it is the most broken. It is the most vulnerable. It is the people who have made the biggest mistakes and the greatest failures that need the most love. And so we love even though that we know that it's risky. And here's the thing about risk. You know, sometimes it, it, it doesn't pay off and you get hurt. But really sometimes, often, it kind of can work out amazing because here's the thing, is that we grow the most when God remakes us. So you do something really stupid and it seems to kind of undo you. But when God remakes you, what He builds is incredible. What he does, it, it, it is your best version of you. Sometimes, as, as terrible as it may feel, and as weird as it may sound, sometimes it takes these kind of crazy, broken moments in order for us to really become the people that God has called us to be. And that's exactly what happens to Peter. This greatest failure, then this restoration and rebuilding by Jesus, and he becomes the leader of the greatest movement in history. Billions of people. Because of his faithfulness. And you read the book of Acts and you just see him taking leadership role and risk after risk. And, and loving and serving and being exactly who God had called him to be. But I'm telling you, if he could tell you, he would say it was that moment of brokenness and the real encounter with Jesus, and the remaking of me that made me who I am. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, just in your own life, that it just seems like the best stories of your life are in fact the second half of some of the worst stories in your life. That's been true for me. There are just two that pop into my mind immediately. The first one being when I was when in my late 20s and I'd applied for this job um, at a church in Conway that I'd been a part of. I'd gotten all this assurance that the job was mine if I wanted it, and then I didn't even get an interview for it and, and, and because I was too young and I didn't have a seminary degree. And I remember coming home from that broken mess and just went straight into the bedroom, went straight onto the bed and just cried nonstop for 10, 15 minutes. And it sent me on a spiral of, say, I would say six to nine months of where I just felt like everything in my life was going terrible and that God wasn't with me and He didn't care anymore and I didn't understand. And, and God does this thing of just kind of in this moment of desperation of kind of deepening and maturing my faith and understanding of who He is and He remakes me into someone who is at least ready to start being a pastor of a church. So I go to school, I do that. And I go to this church, the very first church that I'm a part of, help a friend plant a church. Some of you know this story. And after four years, the church plant wasn't going well. And this guy that I've been friends with for 15 years invites me out to lunch. And so we have lunch. And after uh, you know, uh, uh, a few minutes in, you know, barely one, one, one bite into the sandwich. And he goes, yeah, you know, sure you know the church isn't going well. I've been praying a lot about it. Decided that it's all your fault. Um, you're fired. 
Um, and I've been thinking about it. You'll never be a successful pastor. You need to consider doing something else. You're not suited for this. And I remember, I remember coming home again, just in a daze, and 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 my wife was having a difficult time with our younger daughter. Couldn't get her to go for a nap, and so the, she needed a nap, and mom needed a nap. So it was just nap together. And you know, normally I would have I would let that go, but I was like, I just tapped her on the shoulder, like what? And I was like, I need you to get the mirror. So she's in this daze, and I'm like, I've been fired, so I don't know what we're gonna do next. And it took her like 15, 20 minutes. To even figure out what I was talking about, like this is a dream, right? I mean, this this can't be real. These are our friends. This is our family. This is this is everything. And I'm telling you, there's there's something about there's something about this moment, and I can I can generate some emotion about it, just even talking about it. To have someone tell you, to believe that this is a particular calling that God has on your life, and to hear someone that you trust, a mentor and a friend, look you in the eye and say, "You will never be good at this. You need to do something else." Amen. Come on now. The, the person that God rebuilt after that, I mean, he, he needed that. There was some immaturity that had to be rooted out. There was some pride in me that needed to be rooted out. I'm not saying that this guy was justified in what he did. I'm, I, it, was, it was bad a hundred different ways. But for what God was doing in me, that needed to happen. That that guy was just a little too prideful, a little too, a little too immature, and he needed to be rebuilt. And those are two of the worst moments in my life. But without, I, I would never trade either one of them because I needed to be remade. And so, this is what God does for us, but at the same time, it's why it's good to take a risk. That's why it's good to take a risk, because you never know this person that you're taking a risk on, this person who you find in their darkest moment, you could be the vessel by which God remakes them and turns them into something better and more beautiful and amazing than than anyone ever thought it was possible. And so too often we look at the broken one and feel like we need to move on when in fact there may be more incredible potential in the broken one than there are in these ones over here who have yet to be broken. And so this is who God has called us as a church and as individuals to love, the ones who have been broken, and we get to be a part of that story to watch God remake them. Because what God remakes, what He grows, we grow the most when God does this. And we as a church and we as individuals We want to be involved in that. That's what God has done for us, and this is who we want to be for other people. Because we need to make sure that we're clear on this. This is true in his life with Peter. This is true in my life. God always gives another chance. There is not one sin that you have committed that God has determined. That's it. And there's not one in your future where God says, that's it. That God will forgive and God wants restoration with you. Now I'm going to say some things here over the next couple of minutes and they're going to seem a little intense. And and I've already got this in my mind that, you know, that there's some things that 
that you know we like to nitpick what other Christians say. It's like, well, you're saying this, but it could also. What about what about what about? I understand that some of the things that I'm about to say about this unconditional love of God can be taken too far, and and I'll show you what I mean. Because there's this friend I had in elementary school. His name was Randy, and his and his dad was a pastor of a church right across the street from the elementary school, and he used all this bad language, and and I, we were in fourth grade, and I'm like, man, I've never even. I, I didn't. I know fourth graders could do this, and I'm a church person, and you're a church person. How is it that you can talk like this? And I asked him. I was like, "Dude, your dad's a pastor," and like we're like we were sitting there as he was saying it. We were actually his his little house was was a parsonage. It was right next to the church. We were in the church part. Like, dude, you can't just say that in church. Oh man, you say whatever you want. And I'm like, what? And he's like, he's like, yeah, you just say whatever you want. You do whatever you want. At the end of the day, you say, "Hey, God, I'm sorry," and then boom, it's clean, and you get to do it all over again tomorrow. Now, I was in fourth grade, and I wasn't you know, a professional theologian at that point in my life. <laughs> but even still, I thought, man, there's something ain't right about that. And if that's you, you should probably just forget about everything that I'm about to say next, because you've got some other issues and another sermon's coming your way, right? However, for a large portion of us, we don't struggle with the same bad theology that Randy did. We struggle with its... Um, it's polar opposite, where we believe that there can be a moment, and maybe we are living that moment right now, where God is just done with me. Where, because of what I've done, because of who I am, um, I've used up all my chances. Or maybe I never even really got my first chance with God because of the, the depth of the awfulness of these things that I've already done. And I come to church not because I believe I can be forgiven. I come to church just to mitigate the guilt just a little. But the reality of this is that the God of the universe would love to sit down on the beach with you and and have a little dinner and ask, do you love me? And then you say yes. And then he says back to you, I've got big plans for you. And he had big plans for a guy who publicly disappointed Jesus in an incredible way. And he had huge plans and huge dreams for this guy's life. He had forgiveness and an incredible plan. And I want you to know that that is what the God of the universe is offering to you right now. Whether it's for the first time or because of some things that have happened in your life, it's the next time. But I promise you that to every person in this room, if given the opportunity, Jesus would love to sit down with you and offer you forgiveness and an incredible plan for your life. So here's what I would ask you to do. In the absence of being able to literally and physically be able to do that with Jesus right now as we move into response time, I would ask you to sit down and have a spiritual moment of prayer with him. And to give him the thing that you are talking about and you are thinking about and reflecting with him about what it is in your heart and life that you think really is an obstacle between you and him. And, and lay it down there to him. And just see in that moment of prayer and spiritual reflection what the God of the universe will say back to you. Because he, what, what he wants to offer you is life. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. That's why he died. He died on the cross. He died on the cross as this incredible act of sacrifice. 
to pay for all of the guilt and all of the sin that you have committed. He pays that penalty so that you can then have life with Him forever. And you think your sin is bad, and it is. But it is never so bad that God will not forgive and give you another chance. He wants relationship with you. He wants to forgive you, and He wants you to have life with Him. So accept that death that Jesus Christ gave for you. Accept it. Believe in who He is and what He did. Receive that for yourself. And God will make you new. And if you're struggling with some things, I've done that, but now I'm still here in this place again, then let God meet you there again and recommit and reaffirm His forgiveness and life and let Him remake you. Because what He will remake will be stronger and more beautiful and more amazing than what it was there before. So obviously we can do that as we, as in our seats as we worship. There's lots of place in the back to kind of respond and reflect as well. Communion is available. There's prayer candles. There's people maybe that can pray with you, that can just come alongside you if you just need a little bit of help. You can pray at the cross. There's lots of ways to kind of have this moment of reflection with God. But then let's not, let's not stop there. Then let's ask God the next question. Well, God, if that's what you've done for me, who in my life are you asking me to do this for? And then let's multiply this overwhelming, reckless love of God to a world that is desperate for it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the, for the death that he died for us. And God, I thank you for the love and the life that he modeled. And God, I just confess my own heart. Now God, just, there's just times where I think, well, that's just it. I'm done. I'm done with them. I'm done. I can't. God, I pray that you would just build into me your kind of love. And God, I pray that you would do that for all of us. But God, before you can do that, God, I pray that everybody here in this room would experience that love. That it's not just something that we read about, it's not just something that we talk about. But it is a real love that we have experienced. So God, I pray that in this moment, the people that need it will receive it. And that's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.